All right. Thanks for being here. Fold your hands, close your eyes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us. Amen. All right. A couple of things for you. Here's the, here's the list I didn't send around last week. Oh, my goodness. All right. I'm going to send you with my good pen. You're on the honor system. This is the pen I like. I want this pen back. Okay. I love that pen. I knew you love it enough to, I know, take it, take it home. All right. Uh, if you want to go to Italy, I put the things back there. I have a brochure in a couple of weeks. A couple of people have asked. So, you know, if you want to go to Italy and uh, see the Michael, if you want to see the Sistine Chapel in person, there you go. All right. So I was a little nervous about giving you the stuff I gave you today. I hope you didn't read ahead, although some of you curiously were reading ahead under the rubric of what in the world is Bruzek up to, okay? So, um, but we need to talk about that a little bit. So uh, here's the thing. This is kind of, by the way, just thanks to the Chesters for the steak fry. That was um, really good. Now, here's the thing. Yeah, thank you very much to them, not to me. And to the other guys. The thing is, is um, I've been reading all sorts of books about churches. You know, what they always say is, you know, you should be nice to people. You know how you're normally nice to people? You should have more for a meal. I'm like, yeah, so mark your calendars for Oktoberfest, right? Right? Because... There's a reason that the Eucharist is a meal. The Eucharist could have been a lot of things. There's a lot of ways to give Thanksgiving. But a meal is an interesting thing. So we'll, we'll talk about that in a while. But the whole point of what we're doing is to think about where we are as a church. Jesus lets us play, you know. He lets us play along with him. He lets us, you know, walk with him, follow me, here we go. Jesus doesn't keep it all to himself. He lets us play. Now, it takes a long time to... Um, or sometimes it takes a long time, or maybe it takes longer than I thought it would take, or whatever, however you want to say this. But to have a really wonderful place, um, and then to hold that, often takes a long time and a great deal of discipline. That is actually one of the great things about having families pass on church traditions. The problem is, you know, we often get hardened because we're human and we're sinful, and we mishear, and we mistake Jesus' words for our words, and we get our boundaries in the wrong places, and... Um, we forget what we're doing, and, and then suddenly that's how churches, instead of you know, doing this, they atrophy and they shrivel up and they, bl- they blow away in the dust. You know, so who knows if Lutherans will survive? Um, you know, who knows? Who knows if in 100 years there will be any Lutherans left if we don't think the way that Jesus thinks, okay? And, and often, you know, we, my history in the church has been, instead of kind of thinking about Jesus, we've instead thought about the Baptists. Well, don't they have big numbers, so that would be the way to go. And you can... You can see us in all sorts of ways doing things that are terribly foreign. Now, to give you the punchline, you know, don't, don't read the article uh, that... So I was sitting there yesterday at 1 o'clock at my computer here, and um, my wife sent me that. I didn't know you read the Anchorist. How did you find that? I see a lot of things. You see a lot of things. Yes, you do. <laughs> Believe it or not, I... I posted it on Facebook. I is that true? I communicated with the anchoress uh, two weeks ago because she's written a couple of things and I find her very interesting. She's in New York and um, she's very accomplished. And I, I wrote and said, you know, I want to run some of your things for Margin Comics. And I kind of describe who we are. I, she's Catholic, so I always write, you know, we're pretty Catholic friendly. And I want to talk about that in a little bit, um, especially in regard to that, that article. Uh, and what I'm going to say to you, I'll just tell you what I'm going to say to you is, that's a Lutheran article. When she says midway through... Jesus came to love the unlovable. That is Luther, Heidelberg Disputation, 1518. Okay? The reason I'm so given to the Catholics these days is because they all sound like Lutherans. That's the honest-to-God truth. They sound more like Lutherans than the Lutherans do. 
You've had three popes in a row who sound more like Lutherans than Lutherans do. And that's the reason I'm giving to them. It's not, you know, everything isn't clean. The Reformation turned on a single point. Whether Jesus does it all and gives it to you as a gift, or whether you and Jesus need to do it together. When that single point gets resolved, then things will collapse back together. It's not resolved yet. But what you hear in three popes in a row is them talking just like they're Lutherans. It's actually pretty stunning stuff. You have slip-ups every once in a while, like when John Paul II sold indulgences, indulgences for the millennia. <clears throat> you know, you're like, you know, there's some evidence that things may not be as hopeful as we thought. Uh, but on the other side, you know, and we're going to read, th- you just kind of let that lie there. Um, I'll just say in advance, I hope I didn't offend you with that. You know, it's kind of a lot to take, that picture. But I, whatever you're feeling when you first saw that picture, I want you to feel it. Because that's what I want to talk about. And I want you to, whatever that first, I thought about putting them all face down, and then it seemed too kitschy, you know, this element of surprise. <gasps> but, what I wa- but basically what I want to do is see if you can remember the feeling when you first saw that. Because when I first popped it up, I'm like, it makes my tummy hurt, you know, because the things that I see there are special to me, right? They're valuable to me. However, um, you know, it's okay. So Karen, who has not asked a question in about, like if she were playing on the PGA, they'd say she, hasn't, she didn't win any tournaments last year or this year, but now she's ready to play. So, Karen, what is the question? Ah, oh, boy. You know, you have a husband for these kinds of situations. That's what I was saying. Didn't you describe it to her? Is she playing me or did you describe it to her? We haven't had a chance. It's some women naked from the waist up, dressed as nuns, who probably have kind of a propensity toward um, a gay lifestyle, who are angry and are making their anger known in a couple of ways. And there is a bit of desecration in the way that they proceed down the street. Um, however, <laughs> there are, uh, you know, it's X'd out at some, I would have X'd out more, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to alter somebody else's stuff, you know, but it, it is what it is. But the reason we're going there is, and I said this to the vicar yesterday, and then he looked at me like, I think I need to get a vicar, another vicarage after Christmas. <laughs> I mean, I basically said to him, I'm going to hand this thing out tomorrow. And then I said, cause these are the people we want in our church. Okay. Uh, I mean, I just telling you. The reason I'm handing it out to you is because these are the people we want in our church. When the Lutherans want to rally the troops, there's two things they do. They bang on the Bible really hard in a positive way, and they bang on gay people really hard in a negative way. Which is not extraordinarily helpful because if you're like us, by the time you have kids in high school, their gay friends are in your kitchen, and their gay friends are getting married, and just keep going. So you, know, you can bang away at that all you want as if that were the only sin or as if they're less than human or less than you, or less than me. You can do that if you want. Um, and then the church will die. It'll be like the Villa Park Soldiers and Sailors Club, which I've told you about so often, right? They were down to two members, and I said, you know, this is in New Jersey. We used to go to this little place. Uh, the, the painter at Princeton, we got to know him, and this was his neighborhood. He grew up in outside Trenton. It was a heavily Italian neighborhood. And I said, did, did your wife grow up in the... He's, I said, did your wife grow up here? He goes, no, no, she grew up two blocks down. That's how tight the neighborhood was, okay? She's two blocks down. She's almost out of the neighborhood. Well, I mean, across the street was the Villa Park Soldiers and Sailors Club. They had a brilliant little system where the red light would go on on Friday, and that meant there were a poker game. And he would go play poker on Friday nights, and when he came home at 1 a.m., 
2 a.m., he would wake up his wife and she'd make him a sandwich. Hey, listen, I know it's like a foreign land to you. I thought, I thought the picture would offend. Now I really found your sore spot, right? Well, anyway, the point is, I said, well, how's the Villa Park Soldiers? He says, we're down to two members. He said, I said, you're down to two members? I said, well, with a program like that, how can you be down to two members? He said, they can't find anybody good enough to join. No. Jesus says, just substitute that for the church. Can't find anybody good enough to join. Why is the church collapsing? Can't find anybody good enough to join. Did you hear the gospel for today? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You're not good enough, and then you join. You join, and then you're good enough because of the gifts that are given there. So you right brain, left brain types. So here's the deal. Um, <laughs> this is the one for people who follow the GPS like me and will drive right into the lake, if that's where it says to go. This one is from my wife, who drives by sight. Okay? So these are exactly the same. These are exactly the same, just depending on what kind of person you are. I'm not kidding you. They're exactly the same. So basically, you know, if you have this, if you have this thing out, I'm just at point number three, which is, here's the thing. I mean, you quote John 3.16 all the time. God died for the whole world. Jesus sent his son. You know, he died for the whole world. Jesus wants all his children home again. If there's anybody who hasn't come home, it's because Jesus hasn't gotten there to say, follow me yet. One of the, I've been trying to find it, and I'm going to just put it in. I'm sure I read this in a book, but I was reading, about a, I was reading an introduction to a book, and I can't find it right now because I read through all kinds of different things, and it gets kind of skewed up. But I'm going to attribute this, and if it's wrong, then I'll take credit for it and be famous myself. But there was... Uh, Tillard de Chardin, who was a famous philosopher, really on the edge of Catholicism um, in the generation when I was growing up. But he, he, he once, the, the saying went something like this, as I recall it. If you ever bump into anybody who, ha- who isn't in the church, it's only because they haven't yet heard about Jesus in a kind and loving way. Now, here's the thing, man. So you just, I mean, here you go. If you've met these people, if, if they're not in the church, it's because they haven't met Jesus yet in a kind and loving way. So a lot of times, Christians are their worst enemies um, in two ways. For people who like it like this, sometimes Christians aren't very good thinkers. They aren't very clear. They make the wrong arguments. They deny data. They deny science. They make false troubles where there aren't really troubles. They get xenophobic and sort of collapse in their borders. They, you know, buy food and guns and, you know stockpile them in the basement. I mean, a lot of, a lot of Christianity's problems are because they're stupid and offensive, real honestly. And then um, um, the other side is, is a lot of Christianity's problems is they're not very loving. I mean, you should take this home and you should pray for the people here, not in a condescending way. You should pray that you bump into these people. You personally should bump into these people. And uh, when you bump into them, be nice to them. Invite them to the steak fry. Okay. Although there is a dress code at the steak, right? <laughs> and, that, and that's just being a good guest, okay? Uh, so, you, you know, you just, you just, because here's the thing. I, I mean, we're not, we're not, I mean, it was exactly the gospel for today. It's funny how everything came together, even though I was kind of working different pieces. Of, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You don't get cleaned up and come in. You come in, you get cleaned up. And the order is exactly wrong, especially in a place like Wheaton, where people decide for Christ. Nobody ever decided for Christ. It's just upside down. Nobody ever did. Because dead people can't make themselves alive again. It's really simple, simple, simple stuff. Yes, Carol Holter. 
money goes to LCC. Now for our commercial break. Uh, if you put some money in that basket, did you see the, I mean, I just want to say, the upgrade we get with Pastor Bukes is you have moving pictures. Next we'll have talkies. I mean, you have, you have moving pictures downstairs. Did you see him wailing on those trees? Those are your guys. Um, that's really nice. A couple of weeks ago, those guys missed church under the rubric from St. Augustine that you do a good work and you pray twice. Uh, you know, there was a storm, and so they, our guys are kind of first in line. I met the guy who kind of arranges it. Our guys do the jobs that no other guys will do. It's really good for a couple of reasons, because they're skilled and also because they're obedient. That's a very good combination. All right. Back to point three. Jesus wants all his children home again. And you can see it. Come and see. We would see Jesus, the woman at the well. Come see a man. The woman at the well, that's this woman. She was in this parade, by the way. She was there, right? That's the woman in the well. If you need a visual, next time you read in John 4, that's it, okay? That's what she looked like. Um, that's, and that's how people treated her, real honestly. Now, on the other side, and this is, so basically what I'm going to say to you is you could change the world just by telling stories. How do I know that that's true? Because Jesus changed the world just by telling stories. He didn't have a big program. He didn't have a district office where you sent money and then they sent guys over. They didn't have, you know, guys where they knock on your door and say, you know, if you die, you're going to go to hell tonight. They didn't scare people to death. That's another reason people don't like Christians because they, they, the, they have the predominant notion of judgment and fear and condescension and stupidity. Do I need to keep going? Meanness? You know, what church is that? And that, you see, is when the church, what happens is the church, the church starts to look like the world. That's not who we are, right? And I just, let me just, well, as, long as, I'm, as long as I'm on my soapbox, let me just keep going. Here's the thing. You can hear when things have gone wrong because people are trying to preserve an institution. When people always talk about the Missouri Synod or the Lutheran Church or even the church without reference to Christ, the institution has become bigger than the Savior. It's another way to sort it out. So, yeah, I mean, I'm a Missouri Center Lutheran. I'm a pastor. Um, well, I'm not a pastor by choice, but I'm a Missouri Center Lutheran by choice. And the, the reason is I choose these set of problems rather than another set of problems. Because I talk to people from different denominations all week long. And just for whatever reason, I bump into other people. And what's really interesting is to hear people who aren't, there are people who get it who aren't always proselytizing and trying to move you into the next thing. Because they know that when you move from one denomination to another, you just trade one set of problems for another. I'm here because you're the set of problems I want. <laughs> wow, did that come out right? Hey, that's like a job. It is in some ways like a job. It's also like a family. Yeah. Because yeah. You, you raise the kids you got, not the kids you want. Okay? Right? They're your kids, man. Raise them. You can't trade them. There's no swap outs. Every job has problems. Everybody's got some. So I'm here because I want these particular issues. Here's the thing, though. doesn't mean we're going to stay where we are. We need to do better. Now, the great news, and this is what I talked about last week, is this is a great congregation. Um, it's pretty clickless, virtually clickless. It's very kind. You know, I thought the steak fry, you know, my, my single reflection on the men's steak fry, I did go to the women's. Um, this is just too much for a, on a school night for me. But... Uh, <laughs> There wasn't one guy at the steak fry. There were probably, we were between 90 and 100. We counted a couple different times. We got 87 once and 93 once and 96 once. Here's the thing. There's not one guy at that, that steak fry I wouldn't want to hang around with. That's pretty cool. And you could just see it in the people. I presume from the, what I've heard from the women is the same thing. Here's the deal. You know this. It's not about the steak fry. It's about people who bring somebody and then says, somebody says, maybe I'll go to church with you. Can I go to church with you? Which has already happened. See, because... 
the steak fry is the embodiment of kindness. You're going to talk to the person that nobody's talking to, people who are shy, maybe people who are a little bit awkward, or people who are there for the first time. It's a discipline to walk away from your friends and go engage people who feel a little bit lost or a little bit off, a little bit new. It's a discipline. It's not a painful discipline. You know why? Because Jesus wants them home too, and they're great folks. And they're great folks no matter what you think about them, right? Because Jesus says they're great folks. Jesus wants them home again. Now, the great strength of St. John is all the pieces are in place. It's taken a heck of a long time, 10 times longer than I ever thought it would. But the great thing is that Jesus has made this a great thing. And all I was trying to say to you last week is, is it's your great thing as long as you keep it a great thing. The way you keep it a great thing is not to focus on yourself. You focus on Jesus and what he's doing. As soon as you focus on yourself, you're dead. Pride comes, institution comes, rules come. You have to crank things down. You have to hold on. You have to make it narrow. You have to make sure that nobody joins. It doesn't meet your standards. Suddenly nobody wants to be part of it. Yes, ma'am. Um, I think you met like our neighbors, like Gina, like a baby last week. I, she gave me a call and she goes, happy anniversary. Uh, they moved in about a year ago and I invited them to come to our church. And I guess they weren't ready at that point. But now they're looking to get, like, their baby baptized. And it wound up that uh, she says, happy anniversary. And I said, how did you know that, Gina? And she goes, we went to your 11 o'clock church service. How about that? We know what to do with that baby, by the way. You call her an assurer, okay? <laughs> I had somebody this week who called for a baptism. Again, we've got a run of people. So this, we probably have 20 families just in this situation. What's so interesting is it used to be that people would shop for a church over a few months. People now shop for churches over a few years. Yeah. Really interesting. I probably have three or four families who have been looking for a church for one or two years. It's very interesting how people, it's almost an art form. So, you know, you know I had somebody call this week and I said, yeah, we'd love to get your baby in the water. And then she wrote back and said, hold on, like fully under in the water. I'm like, I wrote back and said, only Nelson does that and it's on request. So... Uh, I said, I assure you, I'll get the baby wet with the name of Jesus, but I won't get you wet, and I'll try not to get myself wet either, okay? So here's the thing. Here's the question, and this is, you know, I write this out so you can take it home and you can just listen and play, but basically it looks like this. Jesus has different stories for different people. This is the same with you. You tell different stories for different people. But if you're going to be good at this, if you're going to be good at telling Jesus' story, it's like telling a good joke. It's like telling a good story. If you're going to be good at this, you have to know who your audience is. Now, I'll give you just two examples. One is, this is what your audience is. We did this two years ago. We did this for a month, right? And you sort of listen for how people present themselves. People don't say to you, I'm a damn sinner and I need to be saved. Nobody has said that since 1833. Okay, here's the thing. Here's what people say. They say, I'm restless. I'm listless. It's Matthew. I'm unsatisfied. I got all this money and I got all this power and I even have soldiers who guard me. So I'm safe, as safe as a man can be. But I still have something in my heart. If there wasn't something in his heart, he wouldn't have got up and left everything behind, okay? Nobody goes from being rich and protected to being poor and a martyr unless something inside is really stirred up. Of course, of course, it starts with sin. Of course it does. Of course sin is the basic problem. But that's not how, that's not how people present. They present as crying all the time. They present as unsatisfied, listless. They present as proud or putting on a good offense because that's the best defense, right? People present in all these different ways. This is the last, when we made this, you remember I said just describe for me your friends? 
And this is how you described them, listless, betraying, self-centered, broken, callous, vengeful, loveless, angry. That's how you described them. Here's the thing. Jesus tells a story about all those people. And for next week, I'll give you your assignment now. Um, We won't get to Zacchaeus, but at the end, we're going to read it. I'm going to just read it from the Bible I've read since I was in ninth grade. However, I want you to go home and think about how if you were just telling a story, that story would flow. So let me give you an example. Um, my favorite, one of my favorite Zen stories. And now as soon as I say that, here's the thing. In any, any situation I'm in, I could say, ah, oh, there's a great Zen story about that. In every situation, everybody will listen to that. Why is that? Because Zen is something new for most people, and it has kind of a gentle reputation, and it doesn't feel like force, and there's always a bit of cleverness. Now, here's the thing. If I say to you, let me tell you a Jesus story, what happens? Immediately, people's kind of defenses go up. Why? Not because of Jesus. Because of me. Because of you. Because of Christians. Because of our history. Because we haven't done very well with gay people, for example. We haven't done very good with people who are divorced. Right? We haven't done very well. Right? And we've hurt a lot of people. The church has hurt a lot of people. And the church can come off as angry and judgmental and stupid. Okay, and we're part of the church, so now what are we going to do? I can't do anything about the whole church. But on my corner, on my square block, on my square block, what I want is what you felt at the stake fry. That's what I want. Because that's the mark of Jesus being active. I've been at stake fries where they weren't that comfortable. I also went home from the stake fry thinking, I love every guy at that stake fry. And from the earlier reports, I've talked to about seven women. They've all said exactly the same thing. It was a blast, and people were wonderful. Okay? So when you bring people to a thing like that, you want them to say, it was a blast and things were wonderful. There are always going to be tears. There are always going to be people who feel convicted. There are always going to be people who feel judged. It's the nature of the game. If we say the game is holiness, people are going to get enough judgment just by saying that. You don't have to point out other people's sins. You don't have to say if you were just a little bit better. You you know why? Because most people know it. Most people know it down deep that they're broken. So the way that you'll help them is you'll tell you a story. So let me give you the Zen story I want to tell you. It's an old story. I heard it long ago. It just goes simply like this. There was a man and his father, and um, they were planting rice. They're planting rice patties. They plant, they plant, they plant, they plant. And then one day... um, the father doesn't come home. And the son begins to worry about him because they work so hard for a couple of weeks, planting, planting, planting. Suddenly his father comes in the door all disheveled with a big basket full of all the rice seedlings that they'd been planting for weeks. And the son says, why did you pull up all the rice seedlings? And the father said, because I wanted them to grow faster. Okay, now that's a story for pastors. That's a story about patience. That's a story about spiritual growth. It's Jesus' story about the tares. Don't pull up the weeds with the tares because you'll uproot things. It's about things letting, giving things space. It's a story about letting things go naturally. You know, it's a story about being a human being. Now, nobody I know finds that story offensive, but if your particular trouble is that you're impatient, if your particular trouble is that you're impatient. That's your story, okay? So what we're going to do this year, what I want you to do is I want you to begin to think about the stories 
as stories that can be told very gently in the proper situation. It means you have to do two things. You have to know the stories, you have to listen very, very carefully. And when you tell the story, you can't just pull the Bible out and start to read to people because already you've lost them. Because in one sense, nobody reads books anymore. Now, you shouldn't think that I'm being angry about the Bible. Here's the thing. You all know that before it was written down, people told stories in the Old Testament, right? People told stories. Writing things down was a new invention. Scrolls were, you know why, why Luke and Acts, they're both from St. Luke. You know why they're Luke and Acts? Because he wrote a really long book, and Luke is about the length of the longest scroll, 22 feet or something like that. They ran out. After 22 feet, you couldn't carry them. They were too heavy. So then, as he says, as I wrote in my first book, most excellent, right? Theophilus. It's because it's, I, got to get, I had to get a new scroll. So it really should be Luke 1 and Luke 2, like it's 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. It should be 1 Luke and 2 Luke. But, you know, it's a detail. Anyway, don't, um, don't, don't fear that, okay? So partly what you have to do, this is, if you're, if you're the GPS follower type, you know, for me, this is pure glory. You know why? Because I get my whole world on one page, right? There's everything I need to know on one page, which is, Jesus said, hey, hey, let's have creation. This will be great, Genesis 1. And then they said, boom, this ever blew up, Genesis 3. And then people manifest in all sorts of ways the sinfulness. But basically that boils down to people feeling alone and unloved. That's how people will, it'll always boil down to feeling alone and unloved. And baptism is the great cure for not being, you're never alone, you're never unloved because Jesus tattoos you. Eucharist is the great cure. You're never alone. You're never in love because you take Jesus around with you in your body. I bear, the, I, bear, I bear Jesus in my body, says Paul, right? The wounds of Jesus in my body. And so he got beat up, but it's also the Eucharist, I think, right? And so what happens is the church knows exactly how to soothe that. How do we soothe that? We don't go up to people and say, get better. Or we don't say, you damn sinner, but Jesus loves you. Because we're really good on the damn sinner part, but the Jesus loves you part. We always come late and out of breath to that, Right? No, what we do is you create a beautiful space. Or you create... So I had a small little wedding for last, yesterday at 4 o'clock for 20 people who had never been here before. It's a long story, okay? But the grandma was the first to arrive, as grandmas often are. She said, I just need to check the spot. I mean, she goes in and actually starts to weep. I mean, you can imagine it was a little stormy, so it was... The, just the cloudy days, believe it or not, are the best for the windows. So you have, this, you have the cloudy color coming through the, the, the stained glass. You can barely see the walls. The, all the candles are lit. You know, it's set up like it is for morning Eucharist. So the grandma comes in and begins to weep. Why? For a range of reasons. But chief among them is the place is beautiful. Right? She's like, this is, I've been here once before, but this is beautiful. This is completely different. Like, you know, then she said, is this holy water? And now we're like off to the races. As a matter of fact, when Jim Butcher put that in, he said it was holy water. I got to check back with her. So, you know, so she was Catholic and I said to her, I mean, this is the joy of doing things. Well, I said, well, the same guy who made um, the stuff for the new cathedral in Milwaukee cast this. So suddenly we're simpatico, compadres, right? Because she's Catholic. You know, we're sharing an artist. Okay. Beautiful things, community things, the steak fry, right? Beautiful things. These, none of this happens by accident. Beautiful things, community things, spiritual things, and justice things. Now, here's the thing. This is a justice thing. This is the pushback of justice. Don't come into my neighborhood and tell me how I'm going to live. Right? 
This is the pushback. The good thing for Lutherans, for Christians, is the, the flip side of justice is mercy. And we're really good at mercy when we follow Jesus, okay? So the question is, um, you know, you can do it like this, or you can do it like this, but do it. But all I'm telling you to do is to be a normal human being. You know, people are lonely and unloved, and they want to be part of something where they're not alone and they are loved. And people can't get their junk cleaned up in advance of you loving them, okay? So you know what? Let's just read this. I, and I'm going to, I rarely, I probably have never done this for you, but I, I was trying to clip bits out. And um, so, you know, just, I'm going to gloss this for you, okay? But why Dolan, Francis, and Benedict are right. So Cardinal Dolan, the New York, right? Um, who's taken a ton of heat because gay folks are going to march in the um, St. Patrick's Day parade this year. And that's been a real difficulty how those things work out. The sponsors pull, then they can't have the parades. They keep the sponsors. The sponsors don't want to alienate anybody. Which you should always remember is the difference between the difference between Coca-Cola and us is that nothing wrong with Coca-Cola, but um, their job is to serve you, and they'll do anything to serve you. It's like the funeral director and me. The funeral director's job is to make you happy, whatever it takes to make you happy on that day when you're so sad. That's the same way Coke or Heineken or anybody else is. Their job is to make you happy. That's their job. My job is to tell you the truth. Sometimes the two don't mix. However, as my wife often says to me, there's a difference between being honest and brutally honest, right? <laughs> now, do you know why, as Pope Francis rightly noted, proselytizing doesn't work? So, boom, he just kicked the stilts out of about 200 years of American history there. Because right? all the way back to tent meetings, proselytizing is what people said worked. By God, I will tell you who you are, and I will tell you the solution. And if you don't embrace this, straight, you're going straight to hell. I just want you to be clear now. You're going straight to hell, and I'm not. Have a nice day. Okay. <laughs> Do you know why proselytizing doesn't work? And this is great, man. This is what we've talked about. I mean, when I, when I read this, I just feel like, because it's not incarnational. We've always said, way back to the Eucharistia bumper stickers and before, incarnational, sacramental, Christological, confessional Lutheran. That's what this is. Because it's not incarnational, big eye. It's not flesh and blood. This is why we're so big on touch, flesh and blood. Because Jesus was. It has nothing in common with the example set by the word, Jesus Christ, when he condescended. This is very important. When he condescended, when he humbled himself to join humanity and set his tent among us. That's John 1.14. We talk about this all the time. And he tabern- the word became flesh and he tabernacled. He tented among us, right? Not near humanity, so not close to people, or, you know, I know some gay people and I don't insult them, or, but still apart. Not above humanity, well, you know, but I'm still better than you, overseeing it, but among and with them, at your kitchen table, okay? And in commonality with us. When Proposition 8 was roared in California in 2008, a group of evangelical Christians decided to make a weekly trip into the Castro section of San Francisco and to preach the gay community there in an effort to save souls. Nothing wrong so far, although danger, Will Robinson, danger. (laughs) Unsurprisingly, this did not go as well as they hoped. (laughs) After enduring weeks of people riding into their neighborhood from someplace else and standing on the curb with signs and songs and scripture, the gay community had enough, and in a rather ugly confrontation that covered no one with glory, they chased the Christians away. Now, just a pause. I don't know what you do in your neighborhood, 
But if a bunch of Christians or a bunch of people rolled in, in buses down my street and parked in front of my house and started yelling at me, I would dial 911 too. <laughs> you know, you, you just freak people out. I mean, it's just, you know, you just, one understands what Christians wanted to do. So here's the thing, we're not going to character or even intention. We know what we wanted to do. They wanted to, you know, touch people with Jesus. Okay. And no doubt with the best of intentions. One also understands why the gay community resented rather than welcomed them. No one wants to be judged by strangers. Now just remember this. When it's time for you to buy into sinners, no one wants to be judged by strangers. And the problem with the church is we've been judgmental for so long. We have so harshly judged, especially as pastors, that we immediately, the reaction that we often get is people flipping us off, looking the other way, spitting at us, being silent. This has all happened to me over the course of being a pastor especially during the child abuse times. Wearing a collar during the times when at the height of the child abuse was no fun, I can just tell you. Stuff like that. We brought it on ourselves, okay? And that's not who Jesus is. No one wants to be judged by strangers who show up, holler about Jesus, and then go to their home to their own sins. And see, that's part of it too. You know, part of it is, is always hollering at somebody else, okay? Sweep in front of your own door proselytizing doesn't work because confronting people as walking categories of sin quickly communicates that one is only seeing people as units of fault and failure. You're not listening. We all have faults. We all have failures. We go around the room, we could name our stuff. But when we look at each other, what's the difference? We don't say, that's all you are. And very often when we're in judgment of other people, we have the habit of saying, that's all you are. That's all you are. That is not the whole picture. You're not listening well, right? It says that their inherent, God-begotten worth and lovableness is a peripheral thing, only recognized and honored once the sinning has stopped. It's the gospel for today. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. First the mercy. Not first the sacrifice, first the mercy. Proselytizing tries to make people jump into holiness in order to get Jesus which entirely contradicts Jesus' own example. You saw it with St. Matthew this morning. It's completely backwards. This is Luther. God loves the unlovable. She's saying exactly what Luther said. God doesn't love us once the sinning is stopped. Romans 5, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While they're nailing him to the cross, he's saying, hey, forgive them. They're stupid. Okay? Right, so, you know, if you expect the sinning to stop before you're willing to engage people, you can have a really, really long wait. Jesus went to people and let them come to him, and once they found him, look at this, people wanted the holiness they saw embodied in him. You should rewrite the sentence to say, people wanted to find Jesus, and once they came to St. John, they wanted the holiness embodied in the people they saw there. This is like... Ten years of work distilled into one article. It's the reason I gave it to you. Because this is everything we've been trying to do for ten years. This is why I'm so Catholic friendly. Because this is Lutheran. Okay? They're coming around. All right, so. (laughs) Sharing in that holiness meant staying bound to Christ in such a profoundly, look at this, hopeful, consoling, and enlightening way that even apart from him, even living in a different place, even living in a different time, the connection held even unto death. 
Evangeliz evangelization is what we're after this year, differs from proselytizing, and gets closer to the incarnational example of Christ by being, pause for effect, non-confrontational. Rather than repelling people by preaching at them, it attracts. You go home and read in your small catechism, if you think I'm off the mark, go read in the large catechism the explanation of the ninth and 10th commandment where Luther says, we give the gospel because it lures people in. This is straight Lutheran stuff. It attracts in large measure through a kind of positive passivity that allows room for the Holy Spirit to work. Here's another thing, third article of the small catechism. We don't lose our confidence that the Holy Spirit is work when we're telling the story. I'm not telling you a story because I've got to convince you. I'm telling you a story because I'm putting the Holy Spirit into the air. We don't pray before we read the text. You know why? Because we have such confidence the Holy Spirit is active. We don't pray, as Reformed people do, the Spirit into a sermon before we preach. You know why? Because we know it's already there. We presume it. The St. Paul Street evangelization method is an effective evangelization largely because its teams are decidedly not the theological bureaucrats assessing sins before they see the person. Okay? Sensitive, but not judgmental. Rather, they affirm that something of the glory of God shines on what they behold. So here's the thing. Even at the altar, we bless unbelievers. How do we bless them? The Lord, has, the Lord who made you bless you use you well, and send his angels to protect you. That's for the unbaptized. Why do we do that? Because Jesus made them. Jesus made them too. These people in this picture that makes us upset, by the way, Jesus made them too, okay? They're all creations of God. You can argue about, you know, with Catholic theology about how much spark is in you, blah, blah. Forget about that. You don't actually need that. All you need to know is that Jesus made them too, Right? Their method is not quite incarnational. Their tents are centered around people, but not completely with them. Look at the next thing. Incarnational evangelism happens when Christian men and women leave the comfortable place of their own origin, just as the word proceeded from the Father, to set a tent among others and live closely with them. It meets the others where they are and learns their names and their stories. It talks with them, eats with them, laughs with them, cries with them, helps birth them, and if necessary, to bury them. The church has something at every point in life for that. By the way, whenever you're interested, um, I thought I had this great idea, and then I realized it's already on the net as love laundry. Yeah, I know. Be careful when you look it up because you'll get all kinds of things. But I actually went to the laundromat the other day, and I said to the woman, um, hey, what if I came down here with a bag like of 10,000 quarters, and we let all the homeless people from pads come over, and we just paid for laundry in the morning? Would you be cool with that? She's like, be great. I thought that wasn't much pushback. I'm like, here's, then I start Googling up on ideas how to do this. There's actually people who have started this thing called Love Laundry, which is they basically open up the community for poor people who can't wash their clothes. Now, talk about a lack of dignity. You can't get your stuff clean. So you always smell, you're always stained, you never present well. Let me just think about what it would be like if we went to the laundry, and we'd have to work this out, and Donna Loza would have to coach me here. But, you know, it would basically be, what if we said, you know, hey, you all can come wash your clothes here. And the woman I talked to, she said, I said, do you have trouble? She said, you know, sometimes, she said, I'm not supposed to let him, gee, I hope her boss isn't listening. She said, I'm not supposed to let, her use, let him use the washroom. She said, but I can't tell people they can't use the washroom. And she says, sometimes they really mess it up and then I have to clean it up. But, you know, she's like, it's all good. I'm like, I love you. <laughs> You're like exactly the person I want to talk to. So someday when you need another thing to do, you know, love laundry, here we go. So 
it's first and foremost about service to the other and to love. So that's Luther. Love your neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's Luther right there, which is God. All this used to be natural to, and you should just say Lutheranism, back when incarnational evangelism went by another name, mission. We used to have a missions department, right? Oh, man, this always happens. <laughs> Who can be blamed for this? You can take this home and read it, but just look under incarnation as a pro. Well, shoot. This is all really good. Um, Kirby's good, isn't she? All right. Incarnation is a process. Just look at that. Between the first sin in Eden and the nativity of the Lord, thousands of years had to pass as God courted his stiff-necked creatures and made straight the paths of readiness. Then, look at this, the great missionary, Christ himself, left the place of his origin and came and ate with us and talked to us and loved us and laughed and cried with us and served us and died for us. We are in every age called to be a missional church. Okay, now we must head out into the jungle of confused popular culture and idols and relative morality and social and sexual deconstruction. So here's the thing. We're not angry about it. You know, we're not naive about it. We're reluctant sometimes, but we shouldn't be because this is what Jesus did. There we set our tents and meet and serve the people who do not know Jesus. Just keep going, just, just a little bit more. Perhaps they've never heard his name a thousand times a day. Perhaps they've heard his name a thousand times a day, but usually they hear it as, oh Christ, or God damn it, right? So they hear the name all the time. People hear the name all the time, but never interiorly. Perhaps they've seen Jesus off in the distance once or twice, but never up close. Perhaps they've met others who confessed his name, but poorly. And the encounter convinced them that Christ was an empty idea, irrelevant to the satisfaction of their desires, which, if they only knew it, are not strange, but the desires of every human heart. That's the point. They're just like you. These people in the picture, they're just like you. To be seen fully, fully known, fully beloved. To be called by name and hear, it's good that you exist. It's good to see you. That's not just hospitality. That's telling the truth. It's good to see you. That's telling the truth, right? And so often churches are just the opposite. It's good to see you, right? How do we bring those sacraments to people who have no knowledge of Christ? How do we feed his sheep? The mission is to a people who have never felt the force of holiness so authentic that it inspires them to draw near to Jesus. Okay. We have to put on a mindset of mission once again and be willing to meet people wherever they are, in an ersatz marriage, in a broken and half-minded family, in a bitter mood of entitlement, in the distracting noise of willful mindlessness, in a parade. We have to begin the process of incarnation, live among them, learning their stories, eating and laughing and mourning with them. Today Jesus did this, and what do people say? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? This is exactly what Jesus was doing. This is today's text, Right? And what do people say? Why does he eat with tax? We're better. He's, I mean, he's, we're better. He's, we're better than that. He's better. We should be, right? They will seek the bond and the sacramental means of sustaining it. And then what had begun a keening emptiness crammed with what does not satisfy will become filled and completed. Friends, this is straight, straight, straight Lutheran stuff. Okay? 
This is the way, the incarnational way of the cross is the Catholic way. It is the way of the one. It is the way of the holy. It is the way of apostolic. So she's basically saying, this is the way of the creedal church, right? It's the only way. And that might be the most important thing. This is the only way. The only way to do church is to be Jesus to other people, to love God and serve your neighbor. Jesus himself said that. Why we make this so complicated, why we throw so much money at it, why we have so many programs about it, you know what it means? It means go to the Eucharist, remember your baptism, be kind when you go out the door, and don't judge people. Because there's, there's plenty of judgment in the world right now. Nobody has to judge anybody for about the next hundred years. Because there's so much judgment floating around that mercy needs to flood the landscape first just to kind of get things back on kilter. Now, I can't control the world. I can't control anyplace else. I can't control the LCMS. I've got no pull in the district. You know what I can do? I can live in this church on this corner with you, and we can do this. That's the point of the whole year. And if I have to go to the Catholics, if I have to go to the anchors and get it, that's where I'm going to go. Because you know what? This is extraordinarily persuasive, finally. Simon said of Judah, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord. You know I love you. He said, him, feed my lambs. Jesus said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. This sounds like the church. I love you, I love you, I love you. Right? But then he said to him a third time, Simon, St. John, you, sitting right there, whatever your name is, do you love me? I was distressed that he had asked me a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, hey, you know everything. Hey, you know I love you? Jesus said, well, feed my sheep. So it's figuring out how to do that. It's not going to hurt you a bit. If, you know, if, we, if we don't embrace the heirs of the past and if we play the hand we've been dealt sacramentally, incarnationally, everything's going to be just fine. Then you can die on the last day and you can be excited about your death and you can, you know, when, Jesus, when you meet Jesus, he can say, well done, faithful servant, because these people right here, you love them too. All right? All right, got to go. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom. Teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, thanks. See you soon. See you at the altar.